But before we begin our study, let's pray. Father God, we just come before you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. And Father, we thank you for these studies, Lord, that we're learning about all your attributes this year, Father. We pray that you would help us to have open hearts, open ears, and open minds, Lord, to receive all that you have for us tonight, Lord. Pierce us in those areas where we need piercing, Lord. Draw our attention. Help us to put aside the cares of the day, Lord, and to just totally be open to your voice. And so we thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we live in an environment of change. You know, for example, the atmosphere changes. The weather and the seasons change. Time changes. The moon changes. The planets change their position in the sky. People change. One day, all is well with our relationships, and then another day, we may say the wrong thing at the wrong time to someone, and that's how the fight started. (laughs) Or we let our emotions get the best of us. And we become unloving and unkind in our deeds and in our words. Or we become unforgiving or uncompassionate or highly critical and judgmental. Also in our our lives, fashions change, hairstyles change, popular music changes, and our bodies change as we get older. Also our society changes. The values of today are not the same, for example, as when I was a child. You know, the things that were not acceptable then are very acceptable now. You know, and I also grew up with boundaries, which my mother instilled in me, um, out of respect and consideration for others. But sometimes it seems as though today... There are few boundaries within families anymore. And technology, as wonderful as it is in many areas, is becoming a hindrance to our children's social and thinking abilities, in my opinion. And though change is a part of our lives and our environment, our God does not change. And this attribute is known as his immutability. You know, God is perpetually the same, and nothing is added to the infinite God, and nothing can be taken away from him. What God is today, he always was, and he always will be. And it's essential that God be unchangeable, because this distinguishes him from the rest of his creation. Without it, he could not be God. In Malachi 3.6, God said, I am the Lord, I change not. Now, the word immutable is the negative form of the word mutable, which comes from the Latin, and it means subject to change. And we get our word mutation from this same root word, which means a change in form or nature or substance. But our God is immutable, meaning that he does not change. So tonight I want to look at three areas regarding God's immutability. 
I want to look at, first of all, why God is said to be immutable. Secondly, how is God immutable? And third, what benefit is God's immutability for us? So let's look first at why God is said to be immutable. And there are several reasons why God is said to be immutable, but I only want to look briefly at three of them. So first of all, God is said to be immutable because of his perfection. You know, God is a perfect being. In Matthew 5, verse 48, Jesus declared that the Father in heaven is perfect. In Psalm 18, verse 30, it says, as for God, his way is perfect. Now we have to understand that for something to change, it must change for the better or the worst. Because a change that makes no difference is not a change. Feel like you're in a logics class? <laughs> Since God is absolute perfection, no change for the better is possible because you cannot improve upon perfection. And he cannot be more perfect because he's already absolutely perfect. And there's no such word as perfecter or perfectest. You know, it's just perfect. In the same way, a change for the worst occurs when something that is needed is lost. But since God is perfect, he is not lacking in anything. And if he were lacking something, then he would no longer be perfect. So God cannot change because of his perfection. Secondly, God is said to be immutable because he is outside of the constraints of time. He's infinite. Again, if anything changes, it must do so in some chronological order. There's got to be a point in time before the change and a point in time after the change. So, for example, if we were to say the day is sunny and then it rained, we see that a change occurred. Before the change in the weather, it was sunny. And then there was a change. And then there was rain. So, therefore, for change to take place, it must happen within the constraints of time. But our God exists outside of the constraints of time. He's boundless. He's limitless. He's infinite. He's eternal. He has no beginning and he has no end. And this is a hard concept for our finite minds to grasp because it's just, it's way beyond what our minds can even comprehend. Also, God's very name, which he revealed uh, to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, also reflects this. God said to Moses that his name was I am who I am. And this name is based on the Hebrew verb to be or to become. So we say that God is the becoming one. And the tense of the verb also denotes the state or quality of being continuously changeless in his life and in his nature. So the idea expressed in his name is not 
merely that that of self-existence, but also of unchangeableness. And Jesus also identified with this name in John 8:58, when he told the Pharisees, "Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am." And that "I am" is egoemi in the Greek, the same word that was used in Exodus 3. In Revelation 1:80 says, "I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end," says the Lord who is and who was and and who is to come, the Almighty. Our God is infinite. Therefore, he exists outside of the constraints of time. So thus, he's immutable. In Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2, Moses declared, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Thirdly, God is said to be immutable because he does not change in his essence. Now, God is a spirit being, and his substance is known as his essence, and his essence never changes. You know, our substance as mortals is always changing. All creatures, all created things change. As I said, our bodies change as we grow in age. But God is always the same. He's not composed of any material. He's spirit and he's invisible. And Paul even makes reference to this in Colossians 1.15. We believe that God was not created, but that he always was and always will be. Therefore, he remains the same. Spurgeon said, There are no furrows on his eternal brow. No age has palsied him. No years have marked him with the mementos of their flight. He sees ages pass, but with him it is ever now. The psalmist declared in Psalm 102, verses 25 and 27, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, all of them will grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And his essence of divinity did not undergo a change during the incarnation. You know, Jesus was fully man and fully God. In Colossians 2.9, Paul declares of Jesus, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Also in John 1.1, the Apostle John declares of Jesus, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When Jesus clothed himself with flesh and blood, he did not change anything whatsoever of his deity, but he divested himself temporarily of his glory. And this is why in John 17, 5, Jesus said to his father, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself and with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So we can see that God is said to be immutable because of his perfection, 
because he exists outside of the constraints of time and because of his divine essence. This brings us to the second point in our study. How is God immutable? You know, in which ways is God immutable? Well, again, he's immutable in various ways, but I want to look at just three of them. And you know, the study of of God's immutability is just so immense. It was hard for me to um, decide, you know, where the Spirit wanted me to go. And I was like, yeah, but what about this? What about that? You know, and you, you can keep studying this for a long, long time and still get the nuggets over and over again. And I encourage you to do that. So first of all, God is immutable in his attributes. And that's what we're studying this year. His attributes do not change. For example, God is immutable in his wisdom and in his knowledge. He's omniscient. And Trudy shared with us last week that this means that God is all-knowing. There is nothing that God needs to learn because his knowledge of the past, present, and future is complete and it's perfect. God said to Job in Job 17:16, I'm sorry, Job 37:16, "Do you know the balance of clouds, those wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge?" God is unchanged in his wisdom and knowledge because he has known from all eternity everything he needs to know and can know. The same wisdom he used to plan out the cosmos is the same wisdom he used to design the atom and all living things. He used the same wisdom in planning out our way of salvation. And God's wisdom that he imparts to us through the scriptures is the same today. He is no less skillful, and he has no less knowledge. He's unchanged in his wisdom and knowledge because he knows all that he needs to know. His wisdom and knowledge cannot increase, and it cannot decrease. In Colossians 2.3, Paul declares that in the Father and the Son are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. A second attribute in which God is also immutable is in his power. And Kathy shared with us in her study that God is omnipotent, meaning that he is all-powerful. Psalm 62.11 declares that power belongs to God. He is the source of all power. And his power is unlimited because he is limitless and he is eternal. You know, he does not need to exercise or diet to keep himself strong. He has, doesn't have a personal trainer to keep him fit. He's just all-powerful. You know, his power cannot change by increasing because he's already all-powerful. And his power cannot change by decreasing even when he gives power to others because he is endlessly all-powerful. Isaiah 26.4 says, Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. In Romans 1.20, Paul describes God's power as being eternal power. 
And in 1 Timothy 6.16, Paul describes Christ's power as being everlasting power. And a third attribute in which God is immutable is in his goodness. You know, the goodness of God is unchanging because it's derived from his everlasting and perfect love. God's goodness enables him to be kind and benevolent and full of goodwill towards people. In Exodus uh, 34.6, God describes himself as abounding in goodness. And God's goodness was seen when he forgave King David of his adultery and murder. It was seen when he recommissioned Peter, even after Peter denied him three times. God's goodness was seen when he showed mercy to Saul of Tarsus, who was persecuting all the Christians, and even sent him out to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And God's goodness is seen in our lives over and over again. God is good all the time, every day. And his goodness towards us is unchanging because his love and his mercy for us is never ending. David declares in Psalm 34, 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. And Psalm 100, verse 5 says, For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. The psalmist declares of God in Psalm 119, verse 68, You are good and do good. And in Psalm 118, 1, it says, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. So we can see that God's attributes are immutable. A second way in which God is immutable is in his promises. You know, many of us try not to make promises to our children or our grandchildren that we cannot keep because we want to be people of our word. We want to be people of truth. You know, but sometimes we don't keep our promises, and our word can become untrustworthy. But our God always keeps his promises because he is a God of truth, and he cannot lie. In 1 Samuel 15, 29, Samuel told King Saul, speaking of God, that the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent. And Titus 1, 2 declares that God cannot lie. So if God cannot and will not lie, then his promises must be true and unchanging. And the Bible is filled with many promises of God. And in each promise, God pledges that uh, something will or will not be done, or that something will be given, or or that something will come to pass. And God did not make these promises flippantly, as we sometimes do, but because of his unfailing faithfulness and his inability to lie, the promises of God are sure and trustworthy and unchanging. Numbers 23.9 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? 
Some of God's promises are limited to a particular situation or some are intended for all believers. And still others are conditional, depending upon a person's or a group's response. For example, in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 12, God promised to bless Abraham and through his descendants, the whole world. And this promise is known as the Abrahamic Covenant. And this covenant also pointed to the coming of the Messiah. In Genesis chapter 15, God promised Abraham a son. And even though he and his wife, Sarah, were way past childbearing age. In the New Testament, in John chapter 10, Jesus promised eternal life to those who believe in him and would follow him. In John chapter 14, Jesus promised to return for his followers and to prepare a place for them so that where he is, we can be also. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus promised his disciples that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit and have power from on high. And these and so many promises have all been fulfilled. And there are more promises concerning Jesus' second coming that are sure to be fulfilled in the future. You know, if all those promises of his first coming were fulfilled, we can be sure that the ones for his second coming will be fulfilled as well. But there are those who say that God doesn't always say what he means because there are some occasions in the Bible in which they claim that God didn't do what he said he would do, that he changed his mind. So, you know, we can't count on God. We can't count on his word. For example, they use the book of Jonah. In Jonah 1.3, God tells Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, remember that Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians were a cruel and they were a heartless people. And they hated all the other nations, especially the Jews. And they brutally tortured them whenever possible. So Jonah didn't want to go to the Ninevites. He didn't want them to repent and get saved. He wanted God to wipe them out. And so he tried to run away in the opposite direction from Nineveh. And he got on a boat. And we all know the story of how the Lord caused a great wind to buffet the boat and they finally had to throw Jonah overboard and then he got swallowed up by a great fish. And then after three days and three nights, the fish vomited him out onto dry land. And then God God spoke to Jonah a second time and he told him in chapter 3, verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And preach to it the message that I tell you. And the message that Jonah gave to the Ninevites was, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And then chapter 3 tells us that the people and the king of Nineveh believed God's message. And so they fasted, they put on sackcloth, and they repented of all their evil ways. And chapter 3, verses 10 says, Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil ways. And God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. 
And this is the verse that those people say that God changed his mind. You know, but we need to notice that God did not change. The people changed towards God. So God had to bring judgment or grace. You know, man was created. We were created to be in fellowship with God. And that's what he desires from all his people. Now think about it. If God had treated the Ninevites after their repentance the same way he was going to treat them because of their wickedness, then God would be an unjust God. But God always does what is right and just. And we're reminded in 2 Peter 3.9 that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Also, God said in Jeremiah 18, verses 7 to 10, The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. So we see that God's promises are indeed immutable. A third way God is immutable is in the truth of his word. As Christians, we believe in the infallibility and the inerrancy of the word of God. And if God's word is infallible and inerrant, then it is unchangeable. Now, infallibility of the word of God refers to it being reliable and trustworthy. And the inerrancy of the word of God refers to it being without any errors of fact and without any statements that contradict And we believe what Timothy declared in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man, and I'll add woman, of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, the Bible is our textbook. It's our love letter from God. And it contains all we need to know to live godly and God-pleasing lives. And because the truth of God's word is immutable, we can trust the Bible as the final standard of authority on all matters of faith and on the practice of our faith. Deuteronomy 32.4 declares that God is a God of truth. The psalmist in Psalm 119, 160 says to God, the entirety of your word is truth. And Jesus said to his father in his prayer for his disciples in John 17, 17, he said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Also, if the promises of God are immutable and if the truth of God's word is immutable, then the warnings of God are immutable as well. And God's immense love for each of us is shown not only in his promises and in the comfort and encouragement of his word, but also in the warnings he provides in his word. For example, in the Old Testament, God warned his people through the prophets of impending judgment because of their disobedience. 
You know, for example, through Noah, God warned those living in the world of a coming flood. And for 120 years, Noah gave out the warnings when he preached. And God provided the ark as a means of escape from the judgment. But only Noah and his family entered the ark along with the animals. Everyone else laughed and mocked Noah. But then the rain began and the flood came. Through Moses, Pharaoh was warned of the various judgments of God because he would not let his people go. But he kept them in slavery. And that all the judgments happened just as God said, even unto the death of the firstborn of Egypt's uh, people and the animals. The prophets warned the nation of, uh, of Israel of impending judgment because of their idolatry and their rebellion towards God. And the Jewish people were finally taken captive by Babylon in, uh, for 70 years. And they were taken out of their beloved land, and the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. And in the New Testament, Jesus warned his disciples of many things. For example, he warned them of the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, he warned them of false prophets. In Matthew 7, he warned them of persecutions to come because they followed him. In John 15, And he told of his second coming in Matthew 24. The warnings that God gave in his word, again, were fulfilled. And there are warnings concerning Jesus' second coming that are still to be fulfilled. His warnings are immutable. And so we see that God is immutable in his attributes, in his promises, and in the truth of his word. And this brings us to the third point in our study. What benefit is God's immutability to us? One commentator that I read said, God's immutability means that my poor, helpless, dependent self finds a home in God. Within God's immutability lies a great source of security and comfort and encouragement for us. And it kind of reminded me of Thanksgiving, you know, that somehow we all want to go to mom's house. You know, there's always a special place that we want to be. And because it's got warmth and love and security there. And it's the same with God. So, for example, we can derive great security from the fact that our God never changes. You know, we don't have to worry that he's loving and kind today, but he may be in a bad mood tomorrow. Because he doesn't change, he's consistent, and his ways are consistent, and he's the same. Because his wisdom and knowledge are immutable, we can be assured that when we go to God with a problem, we will never hear him say to us, Hmm, I never thought of that before. Or, oh, wow, let me think about that one for a while, and I'll get back to you. God will never be shocked at anything we tell him, and he will never be unable to counsel us. Our God possesses infinite wisdom and knowledge, and we can trust his wisdom and knowledge because they do not change. 
and he imparts them freely to us through his word and through other faith-filled believers. Also, knowing that his word is true and unchanging allows us to believe all that it says. We can believe God's promises. So, for example, when we think that God can't possibly care about us, we can read and believe Jeremiah 29.11 that says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, and that's you individually, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. When we think that we're all alone and no one else cares about us, we can read and remember Hebrews 13.5, where Jesus is quoted as saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's always with us, even when we say we can't feel him. We don't feel his presence. Well, that has nothing to do with his presence. He's still there. Or when we've gone through a difficult time, perhaps through the loss of a job or the loss of a family member or friend or through a betrayal, we can remember and we can hang on to Psalm 147.3 that says he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Because God cannot lie, we can believe all his promises. Also knowing that God is omnipresent, meaning that he is present everywhere at the same time. We can be sure that he knows what we're going through at any moment of every day. He receives our thanks and our praises, but he also hears our cries for help. Because Jesus is immutable, he will provide for our needs. Just as in the Gospels, he gave sight to the blind, and he can bring clarity to us as well. Just as he healed the sick then, he can heal us now. Just as he fed the multitudes then, he can provide for our meals here. Just as he calmed the stormy seas then, he can calm any storm that comes our way. And if there's anyone here tonight who has not invited Jesus to come into their heart as their Lord and Savior, know that he is present here now, and he wants to forgive you of your sins, just as he forgave others in the gospel, just as he's forgiven us. And in accepting him, as your Lord and Savior, he will restore you back into full fellowship with God because Jesus already paid our sin debt in full by his death on the cross. In Psalm 139, verses 8 to 10, David declared, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Wow, I love that. God holds me. In Psalm 140, verse 13, David again says, Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. And finally, God's immutability provides us with great stability. 
His unchanging nature is an anchor for our souls. We can stand steadfast with him, assured that his will, his word, and his promises do not change. We can look to God as our rock, our firm foundation that will not be moved. Moses sang of the Lord in Deuteronomy 32.4. He said, he is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. When Hannah took little Samuel to Eli to stay with him, she declared in her prayer to God in 1 Samuel 2, verse 2, and she said, There is none like, there's none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. In Psalm 62, 2, David declared of the Lord, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. And in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus is shown as the rock upon which his church is built. He is our firm foundation. And if we abide in him and call upon him, we shall not be moved. God's immutability can also provide us with the assurance of his protection. Because of his great love for us, uh, and his love does not change, we can count on him to be our fortress, our place of refuge in times of trouble. He's our shelter. He's our place of safety. David declared of the Lord in Psalm 18:2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength, in whom I will trust. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. The psalmist says in Psalm 91, 2, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him I will trust. You know, ladies, our friends may betray us. Our husband may leave us. Our loved ones may be taken to heaven. Our health may change. Our financial situation may change. Everything may change. But our God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so we need to hang on to Jesus because he is the answer to our questions. He is the solution to our problems. He is the cleansing of our sins. And he is the rest for our weary and worried minds. He is our rock and our fortress and our deliverer. And I just want to wish you all a very, very blessed Thanksgiving. And I pray that... Our hearts will be filled with gratitude for so many things, but especially for our immutable God. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you, Lord, once again, and we thank you, Father, for your word, for your promises, Lord, for all that you are, Lord. We thank you that you are changeless. We thank you that we can count on you, Lord, that you are our fortress. You are our rock. Lord, we just 
ask that you would continue to minister this word to our hearts, Lord. That it may not just be another study that we heard, Lord, but that we would really, truly make it a part of our heart, a part of our minds, a part of our lives, Lord. I pray, Father, for those who couldn't be here tonight, Lord. Bless them wherever they may be. If they're traveling, Lord, keep them safe. Grant them traveling mercies. And I pray for every woman here, Lord. I pray that you would give her a heart of thanksgiving, Lord. Give her an attitude of gratitude, Lord, every day, Lord, not just on Thanksgiving, but every day. Help us to be humble and thankful before you for all that we have. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would give us all traveling mercies as we go home, Lord. Help us to have a good Thanksgiving, and we just thank you above all for all that you are and for all that you provide for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.